Okay, yeah, but you, you know, everybody up front, you know, that's, but everybody else was just following along anyway, so my voice projects enough, I think. Okay, so we are ready, I think. We're good. Okay, as you know, when I do, I don't always, but when I do teach from the parasha, um, I usually teach on that parsha on that day. But as you know, we got a little bit of an off track. So last week, the name of the parsha was Shalach. There was some discussion on how to pronounce Shalach because the, the vowel, is, there is no vowel to emphasize the sheen. But we're going with Shalach, which means send. Adonai told Moshe in chapter 13, to send leaders from every tribe to explore the land of Canaan. Caleb, who represented Judah, and Joshua, who represented Ephraim, are two of those leaders of the tribes. Moses gave them instructions to go into the land. Most people say spy, but they are actually... the, the real the, more accurate word is scouts. So they were to go scout out the land. And he was very specific. He said, go in there, bring back a sample of the fruit that's growing there. And he wanted to know what kind of people were there. Are we going to face opposition? Can we take the land? Now, after being out in Canaan for 40 years, or 40 days rather, the spies came back. He had pomegranates, figs, and a cluster of grapes. It says from the valley of Eshkol. Eshkol means cluster of grapes. But it was so massive, it took two men carrying this cluster on a pole to bring it in. It makes me imagine, if the grapes were that big, what these pomegranates look like? I'm imagining watermelon-sized pomegranates and figs that you could make a meal off of because they're so large. But it was a very fruitful land. So the 12 men came back. Again, remember, these are leaders of the tribes. They're not just your average, everyday tribal member. They were the ones that were chosen to lead the individual tribes. They all described Canaan as a land flowing with milk and honey. Good deal. Good report. But 10 of them came back with a negative opinion, saying that the people were powerful and they included the giant descendants of Anak. And we can't overpower them. They'll they'll smash us. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. But Caleb said, wait a minute. We should be able to take the land because God is with us. He saw the same thing. Joshua saw the same thing as all 12. But Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that came back and said, we can take them. Our God is greater than them. Our God is mightier than them. He wouldn't have sent us here to go there if we can't take the land. So he said, come on, we can do this. But... The ten, you know how majorities can be. They got together, 
And they fortified themselves and they said, there's no way because the people are just too strong for us. So isn't it interesting? It kind of makes me think of sometimes the way we see things. Twelve men saw and experienced the same thing. But only two saw the positive possibilities. The other ten only saw challenges and difficulties. Different perspective from the same situation. We see that every day in our everyday lives. We can look at a situation and, oh yeah, that's not a problem. But then because of everyone else around, they say, oh no, it can't be done, it can't be done. Suddenly the majority convinces the minority it can't be done. But that didn't happen here. Caleb and Joshua did not give in. This negative report by the majority of the men caused the people to question Moses and Aaron's leadership. So we found in chapter 14 that it says, All B'nai Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole community said, If we had only died in Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, why is Adonai bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be like plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They didn't stop at just talking about it. They said, well, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wait a minute. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were oppressed. They were beaten almost on a daily basis to do Pharaoh's work. You want to go back there? Well, because of the rebellion, we continue with verse 5. says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire assembly of the community of B'nai Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They said to the whole assembly of B'nai Israel, The land through which we pass it is an exceptionally good land. If Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against Adonai and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They will be food for us. The protection over them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear them. So they're begging the people, reminding them that the land was extremely fruitful. And if Adonai was pleased with them, he would go ahead of them and give them the land. They pleaded with the people to not oppose Adonai or fear the Canaanites because God is with them. Unfortunately, just like most things, the majority didn't fall to the minority. And the children of Israel rejected those words and wanted to stone them to death. Now, you tell me something. We see the things that are named in Scripture that are worth stoning for. What did they do to bring about a stoning? But they wanted to stone them. But the glory of the Lord suddenly appeared before the people at the tent of meeting. Well, he didn't show up just to say, oh, it's okay, I'll be with you. They drew his anger at this point. And Adonai said to Moses, I'll destroy the Israelites for their disobedience and make a new nation from you and your descendants. But, Moses, being the diplomat that he is, pleaded with Adonai and 
said, you know what? If you destroy this people, it's going to look like to all of our enemies that you were not able to deliver them. So he reminded them that he promised to bless this people, not destroy them. So because of Moses' intercession, Adonai relented. But he said, only Joshua and Caleb, because of their faithfulness, would enter the promised land. Adonai answered in verse 20, I have forgiven them just as you have spoken. But as certainly as I live and as certainly as the glory of Adonai fills the entire earth, none of the people who saw my glory and my miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet tested me these ten times and did not obey my voice. Not one of them will see the land I promised to their forefathers. None of those who treated me with contempt will see it. So the rest of that generation opposed Adonai and treated him with contempt according to his words. They were going to die outside the promised land. They were not going in. Now, it's interesting to note this ten times can be referred to the number of times that they opposed him in Exodus and Numbers combined or it can be understood to mean many times or multiple times or over and over again. Any way you look at it, we need to understand that opposition to Adonai has serious consequences. We should always try to obey his instructions. So because of their rebellion, Adonai caused Israel to wander in the desert for 40 years. One year for each of the days the spies were on their mission. Everyone 20 years of age and older counted in the census would die in the wilderness, except Caleb and Joshua. The ten men who gave the negative report about Canaan were killed by the plagues. The people were disheartened when Moses told them that Adonai declared, and they decided, okay, we're going to go to Canaan. We're going to go and take the land. But Moses warned them not to. Because of their unbelief and rebellion, they had forfeited Adonai's protection. We have to understand that if we don't walk in his ways, we're not under his protection. We walk outside of his ways, we're on our own. And we have to fend for ourselves. Well, they decide they're going to fend for themselves. Even though Moses said that Adonai would not be with them, but they went. And guess what? They even told them, you would be defeated by the Amalekites and Canaanites if you do go. They disregarded what Moses said, and they were defeated badly. Moving on to chapter 15, Adonai gave Moses instructions for the offerings once Israel would enter the promised land. Those instructions included sacrifices for unintentional sins and they were to be followed by the Israelites and any Gentiles living among them. Verse 13, we pick it up. Everyone native born is to do these things like so when bringing a fire offering as a pleasant aroma to Adonai. Whenever an outsider resides with you or whoever is among you for your generations to come, he is to present a fire offering as a fragrant aroma to Adonai as you do. He must do exactly the same as you are doing. So see, there was no segregation here. God treated the native-born Israelite and the Gentile as one if they were together. In verse 
13, the community will, I'm sorry, 15, the community will have the same rule for you as well as the resident outsider. It will be a lasting statute throughout your generations. As for you, so for the outsider will it be before Adonai. The same Torah and the same regulations will apply to you both and the outsider, to both you and the outsider residing among you. It goes on to talk about the someone that intentionally sinned was to be cut off from the nation. Toward the end of the parasha, we find that there was a stone, there was a, a man stoned to death because he broke the commandment against working on Shabbat. They found him gathering wood on the Shabbat, and Adonai ordered Moses and Aaron to have the people assemble and stone him to death. According to his provisions, according to his instructions, that was something worthy of stoning. But not what they wanted to do to Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. Then he instru- this is where the instruction came to Moses to tell the people to make tzitzit on the corners of their garments. And the purpose of the tzitzit is to remind them to obey God's commandments and not follow other gods. That's why it's important that you see them. That's why there was always a restriction about wearing tzitzit at night because you can't see it. Today it's not so much of a big thing because we have lights. You can always see them. But these tzitzit aren't for you actually to look at. They're for me to look at and remember Everyone that wears tzitzit looks at them and remembers what God commanded and that he ordered them not to follow other gods. So if we were to summarize this passage, we'd see that there's an importance to obeying Adonai and that we we would be wise to obey his commandments because they are meant for our well-being. He doesn't want to lord over us, so to speak, and make us do things outside of our own desires. But he wants us to desire to follow his instructions. He wants us to follow his laws. We also see that the disobedience to Adonai has serious consequences. For for example, we don't even know anything about this man that was stoned to death. We don't know his name. We don't know what tribe he was from. We just know he violated God's commandment to keep the Shabbat holy and not do any work. So that shows complete separation from fellowship with God when you commit intentional sin. It's so much so that there's no memory of him as a person. We don't know what his name was. We don't know what tribe he was from. None of that because it was an intentional sin that he committed against Adonai. In contrast to the deadly plague that was sent on the ten rebellious spies who opposed the Lord, Caleb's obedience to Adonai was rewarded. His life was spared. Joshua's obedience to Adonai caused his life to be spared as well, and he was chosen to succeed Moses as the leader that would lead the people into the Promised Land. Because remember, Moses was prohibited from entering the Promised Land because he let his anger get the best of him, and he didn't do what Adonai said to do. He took it upon himself to do his own thing because he was mad. That, that should teach us that be careful how we act when we're angry. 
Anger can drive you to do things that you would normally not want to do. And there could be serious consequences and could, there will be, could be lasting consequences to those actions. Because there is a price to pay for disobedience. One example would be King Saul. We read this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 12 and 13, I believe it was, or thereabouts. Further on in chapter 15, we read, Then the word of Adonai came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made King Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commandment. So Samuel was troubled and cried out to Adonai all night long. Then Samuel rose early in the morning to confront Saul. But it was reported to Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel for some reason. He erected a monument for himself. Then he turned and went down to Gilgal. Now when Samuel reached Saul, he said to him, Blessed are you of Adonai. I have carried out Adonai's command. Samuel said, Then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? What was Saul's response? They brought them back from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to Adonai, your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. But what did God say? I'm not asking what you did now or what they did. But does that sound familiar, though? The words, the woman whom you gave to be with me, or the serpent deceived me. Exactly. Passing the buck. So Samuel doesn't want to hear Saul's excuses. He says, stop. Let me tell you what Adonai said to me last night. Say on, he said. Then Samuel said, isn't it true, though you were insignificant, insignificant in your own eyes that you were made head of the tribes of Israel? Adonai anointed you king over Israel. Then Adonai sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, the sinners, and wage war against them until you annihilate them. Why did you not obey the voice of Adonai but rush greedily into the spoil, doing what was evil in Adonai's eyes? But I did obey the voice of Adonai, Saul says. I went on the mission on which Adonai sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Mamalek, and I already destroyed the Amalekites. But, here we go again, the people, again, he's not taking responsibility for his own actions, as king, the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of what was under the ban of destruction, to sacrifice to Adonai, God in Gilgal. Here's what's interesting about that statement to me. He says they brought back the best of what was under the ban of destruction. So he admits that he knew that they were supposed to be destroyed, yet he's pointing back at the people and saying, the people, the people did it. Samuel said, does Adonai delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Adonai? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to pay heed than the fat of rams. If you look at John chapter 14, Yeshua says this. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them. You notice he didn't say, he who offers burnt offerings and sacrifices. No, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Judah said to him, Master, what has happened that you are about to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, he didn't say he will offer burnt offerings and sacrifices. No, he said he'll keep my word, my commandments, my instructions. My father will love him and we will come to him and make make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We read, Rebellion is like the sin of divination and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Since you have rejected Adonai's word, he has also rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the word of Adonai and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. So now, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship Adonai. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of Adonai, and Adonai has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned about to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, Adonai has torn the kingship over Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Moreover, the eternal glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me until I bow in worship to Adonai your God. So Samuel returned after Saul and Saul bowed in worship to Adonai. Then Samuel said, Bring me a god, the king of Amalek. Agag approached him in chains thinking, Surely bitter death has turned back. But this is the point I call too little, too late. Because in verse 33 we read, Then Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. Then Saul cut Agog into pieces before Adonai and Gilgal. Samuel then went to Ramah while Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never did see Saul again until the day of his death. Yet Samuel mourned over Saul while Adonai regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Again, too little, too late. He thinks, okay, now I'll go ahead and kill the king that I was supposed to kill in the first place, but it didn't change anything. He had already violated the commandments. He had already gone against what Adonai instructed him to do in the first place. Just because he tried to go back and fix it, it's too late. What made it too late? Not just the fact that he disobeyed in the first place. But what made it too late is Adonai didn't come back and say, okay, if you'll go ahead and take Agag out like you were supposed to, I will forgive you. That didn't happen. So it was too late. Now, is it a good thing that he took out King Agag? Absolutely. 
He needed to be, his lineage needed to be stopped. But that wasn't the point. British historian E.H. Carr once said, You cannot look forward intelligently into the future unless you are also prepared to look back attentively to the past. We can't move on till we fix the things that are wrong already. We have to fix what we've done wrong before we can move ahead. And if we don't look back and learn from our past, we're going to repeat the same mistakes again. We need to take responsibility for our own actions. And in doing so, accept whatever the consequences may be. Passing the buck, making excuses, not owning up to our poor or wrong decisions is never acceptable. Never, ever, ever blame someone else for your choices. Let's face it. How many times do you do something that deserves praise and accolades and you pass on those, the praise and accolades to somebody else? That doesn't happen as often as passing on my bad decisions and blaming it on somebody else. But that happens all the time. This is how Solomon concluded the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, A final word. When all has been heard, fear God and keep his mitzvot. This applies to all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read, Adonai heard the tone of your words when you spoke to me. And Adonai said to me, I have heard the tone of the words that this people has spoken to you. They have done well in all they have spoken. If only there were such a heart in them to fear me and keep all my mitzvot always so that it might go well with them and with their children forever. Go say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment, both the statutes and the ordinances that you are to teach them. And they will do them in the land I am giving them to possess. So you must take care to do as Adonai your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. You are to walk in all the way that Adonai your God has commanded you so that you may live and it may be well with you and you may prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Yeshua, our Messiah, the Anointed One sent by God with the good news. He was the only one who has ever lived in perfect obedience to Adonai and to his Torah because he was his living Torah. That's why salvation is found only in him. As believers, we're commanded by Yeshua to go and tell others this good news. Being obedient to Adonai will bring us blessings and the assurance of being in a right relationship with him. Real simple. We want to be in a right relationship with him? Do what he says. So let's obey his commandments by openly acknowledging Yeshua as Lord 
living our lives in obedience to his commandments and telling others that salvation can only be found in Yeshua. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, once again, we thank you because you speak clearly through your word. But sometimes we just don't understand it. We pray that you would open our understanding. Let us know that we know that we know that we understand what you have said and let us know that we know that we know that we are doing what you have said. Give us the ability to know the right thing and the wrong thing by showing your word clearly to us, Lord, that we can accomplish all that you have a purpose for us because you have a purpose for every one of us, Lord. If there are those that don't, quite understand what they're supposed to be doing, I pray that they would open their hearts to you and sincerely seek out your will for their lives. But more than that, Lord, I pray that you would instill in each and every one of us the ability to understand what you desire, the ability to understand your commandments, that we can do them so that we please you. Our ultimate goal is to please you. So as we seek to get closer to that goal, I pray, Lord God, that you would open up more understanding, more wisdom to us. I pray like Solomon's request, Lord, you would have given him the riches of the world if he asked for it. But that's not what he asked for. He asked for wisdom. I pray that you would give us wisdom. But I also pray as we seek your wisdom, as we seek understanding of your word, that you would also do what you did for Solomon and give us the riches also. Those things that we're not asking for. Bring us closer to you, Lord. Speak to us daily as we seek you out. I pray that we would spend more time seeking you. As we spoke about last week, Lord, I pray that we would increase our time being in your word. We would increase our study of the scriptures. Every day, twice a day, Whatever you lead us to do, Lord, I pray that you would give us direction. Thank you, Lord. In Yeshua's name.